Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. This is Dennis Burns, and today I will be talking to Dr. Brenda Tabanya. She's Soil Fertility Specialist with the LSU Ag Center. Welcome, Brenda. Tell us about yourself and your appointment, your program. What do you do? Hello, Dennis. Good afternoon. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, of course, you mentioned my name. I'm Brenda Tubana. I'm a soil fertility specialist. Uh, I have a research and teaching appointment. Mainly my work is on research. I have 85% of that. And I do a lot of work on the uh, row crops that we produce here in Louisiana. Um, Fertility-wise or nutrient management-wise, you tell me about nitrogen, silicon, phosphorus, potassium anything that is uh, pretty much essential with uh, productivity issues that we have here. These are the things that we do a lot, in, including with this is the remote sensing stuff that I do in nitrogen. Well, good. Uh, I know from working with you, I've, you've got a lot of grad students that you show yeah. up in two or three cars full <laughs> when you come to fields that, where we've worked in together. What are, you work with them on their projects and they work with you on yours, I guess I'm not sure how y'all divide it up. Mm-hmm. How, what are some of the things y'all are doing? Okay, so, so the way the program is running is we have uh, a pool of what you call soil fertility projects. Mainly these are calibration works where we put out um, different fertilizer rates, for example, nitrogen response studies uh, in sugarcane and corn. And, and it's just uh, the data that we generate there is utilized by Soil Testing Lab to update our fertilizer recommendation uh, for our uh, crop production here in Louisiana. And then there's a pool of project where I have grad students uh, more specialized, for example, uh, I would say cutting edge, where there are some production technologies that are somewhat new. Uh, we're trying to introduce to improve our fertilization guideline in a sense that it'll, uh, when it comes to efficiency and speed, uh, these are the things that we're trying to uh, address, okay? Not only about the effectivity of the guidelines, but of course, whether there's a way where we can uh, improve the efficiency of implementing such mm-hmm. practice. Okay. All right. Um, good. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with a simple question. I got a question, uh, I want to get your opinion on this. I got a question day before yesterday from a farmer. He was a corn and soybean farmer. They were, uh, we were finishing up planting corn. He's got corn coming up. Now, last fall, everything was wet. He didn't get a chance to put his P and K out. Yeah, and he was concerned that. about that. <laughs> and some of his corns are up. Okay, he needs to do something. So when's the best time to apply? So you said that he already planted the corn. His corn is up. Some of it's everything from just planted, they finished yesterday morning, to it's to a couple inches high. Yeah, I think if he missed uh, P and K application, I think one alternative ways is to, as, as soon as possible, he can get back to the field and apply uh, a liquid fertilizer form. I would prefer a side rest application in a liquid form. Uh, and I, I think that uh, that will probably co- uh, address the if there would be phosphorus and potassium mm-hmm. deficiency. Um, that is, I think, uh, the solution at the moment. So the best way is to have it applied in fall or what? before planting. Yeah. But this is an alternative. What about uh, 
dry because dry is cheaper. Yeah, I, I think. And then he was, what he was going to do was he was going to apply dry, and because of the cost, and he can run a furrow plow through there and sweep the metals and cover it up, incorporate it. Yeah, I, I think that's still going to work, given the fact that you say you're going to do a tilling after the uh, application, and if this if this under irrigation, I think mm -hmm. that it's will all help. under irrigation. That will help. Uh, I mentioned liquid is because of if it's you apply or or dribble apply. Mm -hmm. a liquid fertilizer that has a greater contact com as opposed to dry fertilizer where you need an additional <coughs> uh, workup that include tillage mm -hmm. and of course irrigation whereas well, dribble or sideways application you just have to so he could he could dribble it yeah now let me ask this question on the dribble part would he dribble a band like broadcast like a dry is going to go out broadcast and he has a broadcast spreader so he can just put it out himself with the dribble, does he figure he's going to put it at the same rate on a band? Like you're putting a three or four inch band six inches away, or is, is he going to put a reduced rate? Well, that's something that I've heard many times. Usually with that band application, the benefit of that is you can cut down the application mm -hmm. rate because it's in a concentrated strip, it's closer to the root system. Uh, it, it just justified to have a lower rate of but application. But will he get the same response from the band application that he gets from the broadcast drive? Absolutely. Actually, placement of application can do a lot of changes on uh, use efficiency of fertilizer in a positive way when you talk mm -hmm. about band versus broadcast application. Like I mentioned, if you had it apply in a band application, there's closer to the root system, then mm -hmm. you don't really fertilize in the soil, but you're fertilizing the plant. The plant. Well, okay, and I'm sticking with this because this is, and this is a topic that's come up over the years, and there it, it the liquid does cost more. Band is easy, you just throw it out. I mean, broadcast is dry, is easy. You just fling it out there and you're already going over the field anyway, so you mm -hmm. incorporate it. With a, how would you reduce it 50% or do you reduce it 10 20% what what rate do you reduce it by? Well, that's a, a, a interesting question <laughs> I would say uh, from like I said I have not made a recommendation for that but I I, I don't think 50% reduction I would expect to see 20 30% reduction on the application rate so if you're applying a 60 unit of potash then uh, I would think the uh, you will get the same response if you do 40, 45. It's just an example yeah. number that okay. I have pulled out right. of the air. So it's just not 50% reduction, but I would think there would be a substantial reduction okay. in the application. Well, rate. now, okay, with the dry, since he is going with the dry, mm -hmm. and he's going to put out, I don't know exactly, remember exactly what he was going to put out, but he's going to incorporate, will he get like his. I know his potash, you'll get used to that because it'll be incorporated and picked up immediately. On the phosphorus, will there be a delay in it? Will he get, be able to use all of it for this crop or will some of it be tied up and he unavailable until next year? Well, the, what do you call that? The, that's why it's, it's highly recommended to apply phosphorus much earlier than the planting season is because of that uh, reaction or equilibrium between the soil and the soil solution. Uh, it will take some time uh, before it, it 
really depends on the source you have. If it's soluble and you, you have mm -hmm. water in it, it may you know may take effect. And I, with, with respect to what you call residual, are you talking about residual? Yeah. Yeah. There's a high possibility that there's a carryover effect for next year, uh, and. And typically, this is when you get a recommendation for phosphorus application. You do that. Uh, it's not like you're going to apply it on a yearly basis. The best way is to come back after three years or so, so mm -hmm. do the soil test again. And if it's below the critical level, then it's again the time to apply phosphorus. So if he but if you were just putting a maintenance dose, then it really doesn't matter because you're just maintaining yeah. what's there. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Let's move on to another. We've, we've talked about that a pretty good bit. Um, over the last several years, R.L. Frazier and I have worked with you on several nitrogen projects and various crops. One common factor that's always involved is a reference strip. Tell us, what is a reference strip? Oh, reference strip. Oh, okay, that's, uh, um, it's, it's what we call, in another, in another words, we call it nitrogen strip. Okay, mm -hmm. this is a section in the field where you're going to apply a high amount of nitrogen fertilizer, okay? And you'll do that perhaps 30, 21 days or maybe 15 days before your scheduled application of nitrogen fertilizer for the entire field. So the word itself reference, it tells you whether you're gonna, your crop is going to respond to nitrogen fertilizer for that particular year, for that particular site. So uh, having it by the name itself, it's <coughs> reference, okay? When your reference strip after 21 days of putting it in the field show up, what does that mean? Well, now let me, let me point this out. You're talking about sugarcane. Yes. We're in Northeast Louisiana. Yes. We're gonna talk about corn, cotton, and most of that's gonna go out small as a side drip. So if we go in and put a reference strip and let it grow along with the, so what does that tell us? Okay, so yeah, I'm talking about different crops here. I get so confused because I work a lot of sugar cane. Yeah. So for, for annual crops like cotton and corn, we usually put it out, um, I think we did that one time at uh, V3 or uh, three mm -hmm. leaf stage, right? We put yeah. a heavy dose for corn, we put out 240, 300 pounds. 300 and then uh, the, the second application, which is usually done at V8 or mm -hmm. V9 stage, if you start seeing that reference strip, uh, staggering difference between the reference strip and the rest of the field, that tells you a lot that there is a high chance of benefiting from nitrogen fertilizer. So you will apply uh, more, um, we usually use uh, Green Seeker sensor mm -hmm. that has an algorithm in it which tells you the exact number of application rates. So maybe I'm, you know, drifting around. Well, <laughs> no, no, question. we're going to talk about <laughs> Green Seekers but and algorithms in just a second. But, but I'm that, trying to get yeah. the the base here. The reference strip is the base. The, yeah. the nitrogen strip, and can a farmer use this? Like he doesn't have a Green Seeker, he doesn't have variable rate. He just wants to know if he's what his crop. Can if he puts one of these out on his farm. Can he use that as for his own, where he can just ride by and look at it? And this one, his reference strip is greener than his other. Or, yeah. I mean, a visually, can he visually use it without investing in a green seeker? Um, I, I would say 
I would say yes. Okay, uh, here's what we can, like you mentioned about if the if the enriched or the end reference strip is greener and the rest of the field is, you know, light Pale. green. Yeah. Okay, then he can he definitely there's an indication that he needs to apply fertilizer. He can go with his usual rate, mm -hmm. just to make sure he corn will not suffer deficiency, and. Um, having the green seeker will give you a more precise or an accurate way of mm -hmm. determining the application rate. Does the end reference strip did the job even without the green seeker at least telling producer you need to apply fertilizer? Yes, I think that is itself it will it be a good practice of okay, I can see there's something not yeah, right. Yeah, something not right. I mean the the reference strip is much greener why the rest of my field is not green. So obviously the rest of your field needs, or the corn on the rest of their field needs nitrogen fertilizer. Now, if like on, in, in like in Tensile Parish or in the parishes that were along the river here, the soils are pretty variable. We'll go from a silt loam to a clay. Does he need to put, he can't put one, he can't judge every field on a farm by just one. Does he need to scatter them around in different farm, different fields, different soil types? He needs to mix them up some to where, because you obviously you can't compare a silt loam to a heavy clay. Yes, yes. That's a very good question. Actually, several times I have that, not only here when I started my career I, at LSU, I also had that same question uh, as a grad student because how many reference do you have to put up if I have mm -hmm. a 2,000 acre field that I'm yeah. farming with? So uh, the best answer to that is perhaps producers are known about this what we call management zone. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, management zone, you know, you can create that based on many factors, maybe mm -hmm. soil type or or the cropping system, whether it's under irrigated or not. So mm -hmm. you think about dividing your field by management zones and, th and those could be the criteria and make sure you have a representation of each of ma those management zone and put mm -hmm. up the reference strip. And I think that at least best represents all the farming systems, mm -hmm. whether you have irrigated, non-irrigated, with cover crops, with cover without cover crops, also all these things will factor out. So consider that for each management zone, you have to put up a reference strip. Okay. It's not going to work like one reference strip for the yeah, entire 2,000, 4,000 acres. Or no, one size doesn't one fit all. Yeah. yeah. Okay, awesome. now we just talked about uh, NDVI a little bit, Green Seeker and your algorithm. Mm -hmm. So that's the next piece of the nitrogen management toolbox, the NDVI. Explain what it is, what it measures. All right, okay, so. NDVI is, uh, is defined as the no normalized difference vegetation index or indices. Sometimes you see that index, indices in, in other uh, articles. Uh, actually, this measure the amount of green biomass. So when you talk about a healthy plant, you talk about it's greener, of course. And when you saw a plant that is pale yellow, mm -hmm. uh, pale green, excuse me, and yellowish or chlorotic, you can easily sense that it is not healthy. So it's just the same way as a sensor that's using NDVI as a, an estimate of the healthiness, if you will, call that of a plant stand. So with that, uh, it tells us, give us a number, an actual number, rather than the eyes telling, oh, which one is healthy and which is not. Mm. What the sensor does using the green seeker, that particular value can be used 
to convert into a recommendation for fertilizer nitrogen. So that's basically how we use NDVI. Okay. All right. Let me ask this question then, because well, I've seen it um, shows up fairly regular in some varieties aren't as green as some others. Mm -hmm. So how does that, because you're looking at a field, you're sensing a field that is not as green as, that variety is not as green as the next variety in the next field. Mm -hmm. How How is that an... Is that a difference in it? Is that a change in it? Does well, it you, it's a good thing you brought that up because you mentioned about the number of reference strips that we have to put out. It mm. has something to do, again, if, if the management zone, it, it, you have to include the variety, especially if there will be differences in the canopy color or the structure. Uh, that itself is a criteria that the producer can use, okay? If, you, if that certain variety is greener than the other and you have a reference strip, and like I mentioned, the green seeker or any kind of sensor has to work with the enriched strip before you can even use this as a recommendation tool for mm -hmm. nitrogen fertilizer. So having, for example, a variety having its own reference strip as opposed to another variety, let's say has a lighter green color, mm -hmm. it has its own reference strip as well. Okay. So with that being your reference, that differences in the greenness of these two varieties will cancel out. Okay. All right. I think that's that's kind of fair enough. Well, <laughs> well yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Okay. Um, and you mentioned your algorithm. You were part of a team that developed an algorithm for nitrogen for what? In sugarcane, sugar cotton, cane. corn, rice? Yes. So tell us, how does the algorithm work? Well, the algorithm works, um, it has two components, okay? Uh, two models. One model predicts the yield potential mm -hmm. of the crop and use that as a way to tell us the demand for nitrogen fertilizer. And the other component is what you call this response index, which we can derive between the readings of the reference strip and the target field or the rest of the field where producers are about to apply nitrogen fertilizer. So these two components are quite important because like I said the yield potential tells you about the nitrogen demand whereas the response index tells you how much nitrogen is in the soil. You do measure or get the information of this very important component to derive nitrogen requirement without soil testing or plant tissue analysis. This is very uh, real time, I would say, or mm -hmm. instant, uh, instantaneous. It's very efficient. Yeah. There's that's no time delay. So that's the component of the algorithm. Although I explained it in less than two minutes, I mean, the amount of data that we collected to develop the algorithm took us at least four years mm -hmm. for each of the crops. Yes. And you use, like, it's collected, like, the, the, the NDVI is collected either with a green seeker, which is kind of the Trimble green seeker, uh, there are other sensors out there, I'm assuming, that collect NDVI, but Green Seeker is kind of the, what everybody knows. And you're doing some stuff now with aerial, collecting aerial mm -hmm. NDVI with drones or planes. Well, you can use the same thing with planes uh, or satellite, I guess. Um, how is that comparing to the Green Seeker? I know you're trying to correlate some of those numbers. Yes, of course, this is obviously, there, these are two different sensor type. Mm -hmm. uh, Green Seeker is an active sensor, whereas those that we use from uh, 
camera attached to a drone and you can derive area uh, NDVI from those images is our passive type of sensor. So we know for a fact that there will be differences. So what we're trying to do right now is because, like I mentioned, it took us a while before we developed the algorithm. So we do not want to spend the same time or effort so that we can build one that will fit the uh, NDVI that we can derive from aerial images. So to cut the amount of work, what we're trying to do is try to link between the NDVI that we can derive from aerial images and the NDVI used where we use the Green Seeker sensor. Mm -hmm. And with that, if they're seeing the same thing, and if there's a way that we can convert back and forth these two platforms, they're generating NDVI readings, then it doesn't matter. We can use the algorithm for <coughs> NDVI that we can get from aerial images. Well, in, in, in that case, and I know one of the projects that RL and I worked with you, we were doing on-the-go mm -hmm. in cotton and corn. With the aerial image with the drone, and back then we weren't doing aerial images, we were just using green seekers. Um, which is better, on-the-go or using uh, prescription developed by, from the aerial image? Well, um, I, I would not think there's a difference because it's it it can it will come from the same um, raw data that we're collecting okay it's just a matter of uh, do the does the producer has this uh, sensor and uh, barbaric applicator on the go that versus an applicator does not have uh, does not have the sensor mm. in it, but you can still see because these images are geotagged, so the NDVI that we can derive from them can also be fit in to prescription maps. So I would think the only difference as that I can uh, tell you is the on the go is real time, whereas the prescription will be maybe the two or three days. I mean, you can tell me the processing day processing you know, day. Two days, maybe before yeah. you have a prescription written. So yeah, but it's essentially going to be the same. It's just that the the execution or the uh, when you're applying it, it may take two or three days yeah. before you do that. Unlike the uh, variable rate sensor system on the go, you can do it on the spot, no question. Yeah. And 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 when we worked with you on those project, that project, and it it worked right. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the sensor said zero. <laughs> hard to put zero out in a field. Yes, I mean that's it. That's it's, it's hard to do challenge. that, but it uh, that's what it said. So, but all right. Uh, well, we're just about out of time for today. We'll have to talk some more. Uh, okay. I mean, we'll be back and forth. I know you've got several projects in Catahoula and Tinsel Parish, mm -hmm. so you're going to be back and forth pretty regular. Sure. Um, and cotton, you know. Corn, rice, soybeans all been planted in the Louisiana Delta this week and last week even. They've been planting last week. So we're getting fertility applications are going out. We're already getting questions. Research trials, you know, we've you got that stuff already started. Y'all already working on some of this in sugarcane. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a busy time of year, as you say. Oh, yes. So, uh, but we appreciate you taking time to talk to us. And My pleasure. You. And uh, good. Well, we'll talk again later this summer. But okay. uh, remind everybody, as always, subscribe to the podcast. 
and leave a review for us. Let us know how we're doing. If you have any topics for discussion, contact myself, Oriel Frazier, or Kylie Miller. Let us know. We're, uh, we're always willing to talk about anything. We're looking for topics, anything's going on. Also, subscribe to our Twitter feed at Louisiana Delta Crop. Thank you uh, for listening, and see you next time. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local Extension office.